Jenna. Beth. Hi. We're back. And we're back. We're not actually officially back. (laughs) I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea here. I know, know. but we are ramping up. This is a two-part bonus episode, and this today is part two. Yes. Uh, So if you missed last week's special bonus, super fancy, smart, insightful part one. Go check that out. Father Augustino Torres CFR is sharing all of his wisdom with us on Catholic social teaching. And then he stuck around, right, for a deep dive and answered some questions that you and Nell asked. Yeah, it was actually questions from the YouTube commenters. Wowzer. Isn't that fun? So you might have been there asking a question and you wanted to go back and re-listen. So here you are. Here's your answer. We're sharing it on all of our platforms. Of course, you can find it on YouTube, on the website. Yeah, we thought we'd split it into two parts so you could just go back and revisit the Q&A or you could just share the teaching with a friend, whatever. It's all for you. Whatever you need, friend, we're here for you. Let's go. Let's do it. Nell, do you want to take it away with any questions? Yeah, I think, Father, it's so helpful to hear the the foundation of Catholic social teaching with those five principles in mind, because many of us didn't study theology or didn't go to a Catholic school, didn't have this grounding in the back end. So right now, as race is such a huge topic, as it well should be in our church, in our modern day, um, when we don't know where we're coming from, it's really hard to know how to move forward, right? That's a pretty basic principle. So thank you for those. And then also for looking at critical race theory and how, it's incongruous with Catholic social teaching. You laid that out again, got a lot of notes on it really clearly. So thank you. A number of questions that have come up that we're bringing to the discussion today, um, along with comments from the YouTube uh, circle around, what do we do as members of the church who are frustrated, appalled, stirred to want to seek justice, for our brothers and sisters of color and feel a little helpless. You know, maybe people have done like a letter writing campaign to their pastor. Hey, please preach on these topics. Or, you know, they've joined in social media campaigns, uh, you know, different things on Instagram, rend your heart. So these other opportunities to pray together and, and to make, um, you know, a true public statement of, of sorrow for the injustices done. But do you have any, what to do for those of us who feel like, well, you know, what do we, what do we do personally in our own lives, pursuing personal holiness in this area, so how do we effectuate any positive encouragement or change for the people of color in the church? Um, any, any real change, I think, always has to hit three levels. It has to be uh, in our own interior life, in our own, the way we live as a family, and then the way we interact as society. Um, and so my own person, I remember having a conversation with one of my best friends, and he's a priest. And he's from Minnesota, um, one of my best friends. Um, and, and he just like, he just came out and he said, you know what I just realized? What'd you realize, Father? I'm a racist. And I was like, okay, let's have this conversation right now. We're going there. And, and he just, and he's not a racist, but he was, he was recognizing that there's certain um, uh, understandings that he had that needed to be purified. And this is a man who's very intentional about living a gospel life. And so I think if we are very intentional about living a gospel life, the Lord is going to reveal to us some of these things. Um, the Lord is going to reveal, and, and sometimes it's through uh, other people. And if I may, 
um, if there's any men listening, uh, they will corroborate that it's a lot of times it's through the wives that men grow in this deeper um, understanding of, of humanity because left to ourselves, we're a bunch of cavemen, you know, and like, I don't got to listen to that. You know, it's like, you know, but, but the, the women uh, have this sense. Uh, Thomas Aquinas would say a co-naturality uh, to, to see this dignity and to, and to, to do something. So, um, so personally, we have an obligation to kind of examine ourselves and, and like, I, I think that it is, it's really, it's really living an authentic gospel life. If you're living an authentic gospel life, God's going to show you that like, yeah, you rolled up the window because you're afraid of that guy asking for money. And really all, all he needed was you to, to give a smile and to say, I don't have anything right now, but I'll give you my name. I'm going to pray for you. Um, obviously, assuming that, you know, we're, we're, we're keeping safe. I'm not asking anyone to do anything, anything that's not safe, but to examine your own heart uh, in your own family. Um, many uh, people listening, I would imagine, are, are um, heads of family, uh, mothers um, or sisters uh, or brothers, you know, wherever you are, to, to instill in your own families these eternal values to teach you, to take the time to teach your children. So my, um, my, I'm going to totally throw my family under the bus. Oh my gosh. Um, my nephew wanted a video game from the Nintendo switch that my sister had. So he took it without asking. And I was, I just so happened to be there when my brother, who's such a good dad, said, okay, now tell your aunt what you did. And it was like super awkward. I'm just like, okay, I'm just here for a couple of days. Can we just like have happy family time? Um, <laughs> and so he, he, he had to do it. like, I'm sorry. I took it. I was just afraid. I didn't think you would say yes. And my sister said, of course I would say yes to you, but thank you for telling me that. And I was like, like okay, can we have fun now? Because like, you know, um, uncle, father Tino is here and we want to have fun and play. But I, in retrospect, I was like, no, step back and let that moment happen because you're instilling values into your children. What I'm trying to say is that it takes work and it's hard, but we need you to show your children this, uh, to, to help them be better people than we are, um, right? Um, and so living that in your family life. In society... Great question. There's a lot of things that we can do um, to uh, to either write your politicians to dare I say discern if the Lord is calling you to be a politician. You know, we talk about vocations all the time. Are you called to be a priest? Are you called to be a sister? I'm like asking people. You know, have you ever thought about running for public office? Because like, man, we need people of high moral character to be our politicians. And so, you know, I don't know, you know, like, you know, encourage people to live virtuous lives so that they can eventually uh, be uh, our elected officials. Uh, yes, I, that's my prayer. Um, but uh, to, uh, to, to foster this in our society, to, um, uh, I'm from South Texas, and uh, this whole um, crisis on the border that was going, that had, still going on, that was definitely going on a couple of years ago. 
these two women saw these people at a bus stop that literally had nothing but the clothes on their back. And so they made a couple calls. They, the, the local church opened up their parish hall and then it became a center of aid for thousands of people. And that began with two women saying, we got to do something. So um, be docile to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You know, what, what can we do with race, you know, to have listening sessions? People are saying that, that, that you know, we need to listen. Um, we did this for the, for the church scandals. We had all these listening sessions where people who had been, Lord deliver us, uh, abused uh, by, by people in the church to come in and for them to voice these things out. Can we have these also for race? It's not going to be pleasant, but there's been, there's been hundreds of years of oppression of certain people from certain places, from certain races. And if, and if all we do is a listening session to, to kind of like have a deeper understanding of what our, the experience of our brothers and sisters are, it's like, we're not asking that much. Um, and, but in fact, we should do more. Uh, if, are there people of means uh, listening, you know, to, to, to start up these scholarships? Because there's a lot of people who don't have opportunities, but they have all the ability and I've seen this and it breaks my heart. Like in, in one of the poorest neighborhoods you can imagine seeing this young boy with such brilliance. And then that's where it stays. Uh, so these are things that we can concretely do and more. Um, but, uh, but, but, but pray and, and ask the Lord how he's leading your heart in this way. Uh, but th- that's, believe it or not, that was a summary. <laughs> Uh, That was an excellent summary. Thank you. Uh, Another question we have from YouTube today is how do we shift our focus from the burn it all down and frustration perspective to something more productive, especially as you know, Father, in online discussions, it gets heated so fast. Um, People are canceled left and right. People are called out left and right. But instead of perpetuating the the destructive part to take that into something tangible, I mean, you kind of touched on this in your three-pronged answer before, but any thoughts on that? Yeah. yeah um, and this is speculative here. I mean, this is, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm going to speak from my own personal perspective. Um, I think that what we're, um, what we're missing here is uh, a very clear and, and concrete goal. Um, so some of the things that have been suggested as change now, now people I'm sure would disagree with that because there are certain platforms on certain groups, but, Hear me out. Um, some of the changes that have been proposed uh, to heal some of the racial tensions is, um, you know, changing names, uh, taking down statues of controversial figures, and um, changing names of buildings, um, apologizing for um, unfortunate legacies tied to slavery. Um, and I don't want to undermine any of those things because um, they're, they're, I think, um, well-meant, well-meaning. Uh, if there's a building named in, in a certain university for a former slave owner, um, then, yeah, you know, maybe we should think about changing it. Or I, I heard in the University of Texas, there was the suggestion to change one of the songs that's sung after every football game because of its ties to slavery. And you're like, okay. I think that change wasn't made, but if the change was made, okay, um, it's, it means something. But ultimately, what really changes? Um, 
And as a priest, I have to say, uh, we need we need to be converted in heart. Because if not, nothing is, you can change names, you can take down statues, but what needs to be changed is our own hearts. Because if not, then it's just going to be different people in power who are doing the same things now to different people. And that's not what we want, or that, that, is, that better not be what we want. Um. Would it be the first time in history that that those who were the revolutionaries end up becoming uh, the, the the same as their oppressors? Uh, this is not what we're going for, um, and so I think that what we need to to really try to identify is a clear um, path to uh, to diminishing the instance of of um, of oppression of certain races through, uh, through law, through um, a, a system of, I don't know, uh, for lack of a better term, of policing, um, for the police to, to have a, a way to, um, to uh, a, a, an outlook that is, that is different than the ones that uh, Somebody suggested that, you know, as nurses have to go through recertification uh, for, for police to go through some sort of recertification periodically that would, that would either provide training or something to, um, to stop these instances of, of um, unnecessary violence. I say that very carefully because, like I said, I have a lot of, of people I know who are police and I live in a neighborhood that is pretty tough, you know? Um, and, uh, and sometimes you're in a situation I've, I remember seeing the fear in a policeman's eyes when this, this whole situation blew up in, in, in Harlem and it, they have a tough job, but, but all that said, you know, it, it's, it's one thing if, if, you know, you're building relationships with the local community, because I also deal with these poor, and people are people. And so we need to find a way to not to be corny, but to build bridges. Um, and whatever that looks like, I, I'm, I'm praying for the people who, uh, who will think this up, people way smarter than us, but this is what it needs. This is what it, it's, it's going to look like. Um, and we need to, we need to be about building it. So I, you know, in years past, you know, you had like a Martin Luther King who was like this charismatic personality that you could all like we could all look to to listen to and um i guess i guess we need to pray that that a figure like this rise up to to give us some direction into how to be into like what path to take because i think that that's something that that we need right now we kind of need a, a concrete path and again speaking personally i i don't think this this idea of like you know the system doesn't work uh, we can't do it in the system, which I did read uh, some of the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. They espouse this, this path. Now, I mean, that doesn't mean that they're doing anything illegal or anything. That doesn't mean that they deserve any less respect. But I'm saying that I, I believe that there is a way to build it with the society that we currently have in place. And some people will disagree with that. Um, 
and uh, we have First Amendment rights. We can we can say what we want to say, um, but um, but that doesn't mean that um, that we necessarily have a path, a concrete path to follow. And I think my point is is like this is what we need here. We need we need like some sort of template. Like this is a way that we can really concretely heal this. Other than conversion, um, the uh, the the details of enacting a, a real integral solution is not as evident as in ages past where you had something like the Jim Crow laws or very obvious institutions of racism that, that you can, that you can tear down. It's, 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 it's there, but it's not as um, it's not as present. And so I think that we need to be praying for a voice that can give us guidance in that. If you understood what I'm trying to say there, Yes, yes, Father. It's complicated. It's a complicated issue, but uh, we're trying. I have two, I have a number, a few more questions and two spring from what you just shared that have been shared with us kind of on the back end. And the first one would be, I'm going to give them both to you and then you can answer them how they inter interact with each other. The first one is looking for that leadership. Can that be the church? And if so, what would that look for, look like? And the second one is, there's a huge split, a huge controversy in the Catholic world, especially online, of how to ally oneself with the specific Black Lives Matter movement, not with the slogan that Black Lives Matter, which is mm-hmm. obvious and inherent to human dignity, as we've discussed. But um, the conversation being there's an imperfect ally, the conversation being you simply can't align with something that doesn't align with Catholic values. We have to find another system to work through um, and the deep, deep divides over how to even approach the language we use. So leadership and then Black Lives Matter. I mean, real basic, easy topics, right, Father? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> can, can the church be a leader? Uh, the church needs to be a leader. The church would be betraying who we are if we're not a leader. And, and we have been a leader in, in every other age. Uh, I was reading a history of the Catholic Church in New York, and boy, oh boy, you know, was it, was it saucy? You know, you had the whole um, racism against the Irish and the Italians that the church was just, you know, marching side by side with, with, with this, with the, the, the oppressed. Um, there's pictures that are quite prevalent of, of Catholic priests marching arm in arm with, um, with Martin Luther King uh, in, in, in a lot of these marches. Um, we are leaders in this but I think what we also need is, um, and I tell the brothers this: it's like we need, we need a, a, an orthodox voice in the living out of the Catholic social doctrine, not to undermine anyone at all. But I think people are turned off because they hear a Catholic leader talk about social justice but then they're not pro-life, you know, they're, they're for abortion or they don't think the mass is important or something like this. Um, and um, I'm nobody to judge anyone's personal um, conscience, but I can tell you that that really turns people off. I mean, like we need, we need people to be fully Catholic in, in every aspect, like all of our teachings, especially in this social doctrine and if I may, this is what I tell the brothers. I was like, brothers, um, this is your role right now in the church with the people that you interact with. 
because they're looking for an example of this. Um, and uh, we, there's no way that, that we should be the only ones, mm, by no means, but this is what I, th- I think people are looking for in the Catholic Church, um, and this is what we need to be. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of partisan Catholicism going on. And, um, and I think that really turns people off as well. We're more Democrat or Republican than Catholic, and in the name of Jesus, no. Um, our, our Catholicism really should uh, inform every aspect of our life. Uh, so real quick. <laughs> and then the second question was Black Lives Matter. Um, so the short answer is no. Uh, we can't align ourselves with the entire platform of the Black Lives Matter movement because there are a number of things that stand in complete contradiction to Catholic teaching. That said, that doesn't prohibit me from walking side by side with somebody who believes that at the same protest. Um, that doesn't prohibit me from engaging in conversation with, with these people. That doesn't, that doesn't prohibit me from, from having friendship. Because uh, I... How, how are things ever going to, you know, change? I'm, I'm here. I'm a Catholic priest because somebody engaged in conversation with me when I had all my crazy ideas in my head. Thanks be to God for those people. So I think that, that um, if you associate with, with people that you disagree with, that doesn't mean you agree with them. And I think this is something that people need to understand. Like if I'm talking to... Um, to the head of the LGBTQ movement in New York City, um, I'm there because Christ is is asking me to be there, um, and and I should be there, but that doesn't mean I agree with them. Those are such helpful distinctions, Father. Especially looking at the orthodoxy of the Catholic social teaching movement. That's something that's hard for especially for the lay catholic person who may be moderately catechized it can be very confusing to look and say well this this priest appears to be espousing this or this leader is espousing that and i'm just an ordinary catholic how am i supposed to figure out who to align myself with since it does get so partisan so thank you for your guidance on that um a a somewhat related question that has come up and we've seen a bit of scuffling on on the internet is this you know, with the with the destruction of religious statues, um, what could be potentially, you know, arson investigations into burnings in churches, a number here in the U.S. and then over in France, uh, as was reported this morning. It's a fascinating thing, Father, to see that some people who are sharing their, uh, you know, their feelings of outrage or upsetness are being attacked as only caring about buildings and not caring about why people may be upset enough to do that. So it's, a, it's that fine line that we see on the internet, which is you're not in a relationship with that person. You can't talk face-to-face with them to hear their heart and them to hear your heart. Um, but how do we balance that as, as Catholic women that, of course, we care about these underlying issues in general, but we do also want our statues of our Lord and our Lady to be reverenced and not destroyed. Yeah. What do you think about that, Father? Um, if we can say categorically that it is you if if churches are being burned if sacred images are being defaced 
by whichever side, then this is the very oppression that we're actually talking about trying to remedy. And if one thinks that, that this is the remedy, um, then, then you are sorely mistaken. Let me, let me put it in street, street talk. You're doing the same things that you're saying people are doing to you. And that is not going to bring about change. Um, and again, some of these, some of these uh, incidents, there's an ongoing investigation. So I don't want to speak with, with, um, with complete uh, certainty about uh, what exactly happened. But we do know that there's some situations that happen regardless of mental illness. Um, you know, somebody driving a car into a parish and trying to set that on fire is, is oppressive. And um, I am in complete agreement that right now we need to read the room and see how a particular group of people, a particular race, has undergone centuries of oppression. However, if if someone thinks that the solution to that oppression is to go to another group and to um, take what is sacred to them and, and desecrate it, I hope that we as rational human beings can say, can, can easily, can see that that is not, that's not a solution. Now, if you say, well, your images are, are instruments of oppression, like, I think dialogue and, and, um, and with a view towards solidarity is actually the way because there's a lot of false history going on about, about what happened. Did you know that the very first um, promoters of indigenous rights, of international law that is particular against slavery was all proposed by Catholic priests? So, you know, there's a whole part of the history that isn't being um, said to people. And so what that means is that people are being lied to about the history of our church. And so they see the church as an enemy. Um, and whereas the church has historically, the track record has been that the church has, has been much more of a solution. Whatever the errors of the past have been uh, by some members of the church, overall, the church has, has always brought um, healthy and like historic changes um, in the way people do things. And so that needs to be heard and said. I was actually like thinking like, you know, I'm going to do like this, this YouTube series of like, you know, ghetto Catholic history, like, you know, like given like the other side of the, you know, like, did you actually know that this is actually what happened? Because, because it's not, I was reading a, a historical, I love history. I was reading a historical book. And it was so anti-Catholic. I was just like, I can't do this, man. It's just like, that's not the whole story. Um, but anyway, um, that aside, I hope it's clear that, that if, if you say that I'm worried more about buildings, then, then you are missing the point. Because that is the actual, if you will, artifact of oppression that has been used to subjugate uh, people. The burning of churches is, is one of the, um, the historic uh, tactics of racists in the South. So if churches are being burned in the name, not of the ultra, ultra right, but now the ultra, ultra left, 
then you're the same. And this is wrong. And we have to, we have to call that out. Um, and it, for us to say that we're worried about buildings, if someone says you're worried about a building, you don't understand what that building means to poor people because our churches are centers of help and aid for the poor. The mission San Gabriel, big time. A lot of people receive the hope, health, and help from that place that's no longer there now. So um, I would say to somebody said that you're worried more about buildings, it's like you need to educate yourself actually as to what the church really means and the history of the burning of buildings uh, with, with oppression is, I'm getting a little worked up here now. Um, but, uh, but I think it, it has to be just very clear. Oh, that's so helpful. Um, shifting gears a little bit, Father, to speaking directly to our sisters, especially those who are part of our sisterhood who are women of color, who for a lot of them, this topic unearthing over the last few months has helped them see parts of their story. They had shut down, they had stuffed down, they didn't want to, you know, have to acknowledge, they wanted to kind of go with the flow. Um, and for many of them, they're acknowledging either microaggressions or macroaggressions or kind of realizing they have felt left out either in their parish community, their youth group, or they're now their mom's group or whatever it is that, um, do you have any words for them as they, they want healing, they want to work toward feeling part of the sisterhood of the, of, uh, you know, of our church, but some of them are still in a place of feeling either angry or, or just confused or hurt. Yeah. Um, and if I may, uh, I, I, I hear you because, um, I feel that way as well. I feel like uh, where we're at, it's good that we're talking about this, but even in talking about it, there's just like, there was just like an occasion of more, um, of more offensive things to be said. And it's almost like not meaning to be offensive, but you end up being offensive and you're just like, it's easier just to shut down. It's like, you know what? <laughs> like, I can't deal with you all right now. I'm just going to like go to my little corner and, you know, and kind of just like put on my happy face when I have to deal with people. Um, and uh, maybe that's not how you're feeling, but that's, I've, I've felt that way in these last couple of months, just kind of just like, wow, you know, like what good is really going to come from me trying to share my experience? Um, and to that, I would respond. Uh, if we do not get there together, we do not get there. Which means that our, our sisters of color, we need you. We need you to share your experience and take the risk to, to make yourself vulnerable. And I know it's so hard to, to share your experience because there are so many other women like you who don't have the same courage, who, who for me, I shouldn't say it that way. I apologize. Who um, who are who don't have the same freedom as you do to know that you're a sister and you will be accepted, and no matter what your uh, experience might be afterwards, uh, know that God is going to bless that. God is going to bless that sharing of your story, the sharing of your experience, the um, the uh, sharing of perhaps what's not quote unquote. Um, mainstream Catholicism, whatever that is, 
like sharing your experience is important because we come from a family that's that's big and that's beautiful and every aspect it's almost like having a bouquet of flowers bouquet of flowers is beautiful because there's all these different flowers some big some little some green some yellow some some white everything is there and that's what makes it beautiful um and and we need you to share your experience with with great courage at the risk of feeling rejected or being misunderstood. Um, that's a risk that we have to be willing to take for the sake of the ones that are looking for a light in this. We have to be that light for them. Thank you. Yeah, let's go ahead. Thank you so much, Father. I think Jenna's gonna give us our last question here. Yeah, thank you for your time, Father. Um, one more question following up on you sharing that, you know, this is gonna, the change is gonna happen from changed hearts. And actually when you were saying that, I couldn't help but think about 1 Corinthians um, 13, one, um, the, I don't, sorry, let me just read it. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clinging symbol. And I couldn't help but think of that. I think, you know, as, humans we want to see justice we want to see things righted um and so often we can like just want to make that happen but but we haven't taken the time to really interior look at ourselves first and spoken and moved coming from a place of love and inspiration from the holy spirit um so I just think that's beautiful that you shared that um someone in the comments her name's Steph she actually asked I get that, um, that this, you know, change can only happen from, from a place of love or, you know, by that movement, but how do we change people's hearts? How do we, how do we change other people's hearts where then there is an uprising of love and action that actually makes real change? The way you change other people's hearts is that you allow your heart to be pierced. Jesus' heart was pierced for love of us. He loved us to the extreme. You have to be willing to be crucified for their sake, whatever that means. Um, in enduring their ignorance, in correcting their, um, their offensive remarks and bearing the consequences of that, you have to be a prophet. And the prophets, <laughs> they got stoned, they got killed. We have to be that voice. We have to be willing to risk having our hearts pierced. The ancient Christians went singing to the lions and the tigers in the Roman Colosseum. And through the shedding of their blood, through the, through the blood of the martyrs is the seed of Christianity, Tertullian said. And a whole society that was pagan and brutal and racist. We don't talk about the racism of the Roman society. Like they were just like treating everybody like slaves. Anyway, um, began to change, began to be transformed. Now, um, if the Lord has given you a grace of martyrdom, pray for me, <laughs> pray for me. But um I, I do think that we're called to be prophetic. And if you're called to be a prophet, then you have to be willing to lay your life down. 
Now you're not ultimately going to change, or maybe the maybe what she meant is convince someone. You might not even see that you convinced them, and it's hard because you're just like, man, I'm trying the best that I can, and nothing is happening. That's what that's what it feels like. But but um, if you are um, working with this grace, know that something is happening. I um, preached a, a sermon in a retreat in Texas years ago. I didn't even remember what I said. And now, do you remember that couple that came up to me when we were? So this married couple, they're like a focus, the focus family now. Uh, he said, hey, do you remember you went to this one retreat and like you were, you were preaching on the Eucharist and like that's when it actually, like it hit me, this is real. And he said, and it, and it, and it caused division in my family. But then I was looking at it as like, you know, pretty young wife. I'm just like, well, I got you a family though. <laughs> I bet you she wouldn't be with you if you didn't really believe in the Eucharist, bro. Right. Um, but uh, so that I had no clue. I was just preaching about what the church teaches and the seed fell on fertile ground and it affected the way that this man lives his life. That's how we got to be. We got to be like those sowers. And know that the seed is going to fall on different ground and let, let the Lord take care of that. But we got to keep on going. That's how I, I would answer that question, Steph. And I thank you for your bravery. Thank you, Father. That was beautiful. Um, Father, do you have any last remarks? Or if not, we can close in prayer, if that's okay with you. Um, sure. My last remarks is that... Um, the, uh, I really do believe that uh, the genius of femininity is going to inspire humanity to be a better version of ourselves. And so it's easy to be discouraged, but women, ladies, we need your beautiful feminine strength. Um, and so continue on. I know that I'm praying for you. Every Friday, I'm praying for you guys. Um, and, uh, and please pray for me. Those are my final words. For yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Father, would you mind uh, closing us in prayer? In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Lord God, we ask that you send your blessing upon us. And at this moment, I beg particularly for the intercession of Our Lady of Guadalupe who brought together races from different lands under the one banner of our Lord. We pray for her motherhood to, to inspire us. We pray for healing in our land. We pray, Lord God, that angels may come and accompany us and encourage us. We pray, Lord God, that the wrong that has been done in our history may be forgiven, may be absolved, that there may be blessing in this place that we may indeed be a land of brotherhood and uh, in, inspired by, by the blessing that you have given us. And I bless all of you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough, Father Augustino, for being here, for sharing your wisdom with us. It's truly an honor. So I appreciate it. Oh, you guys are too easy to love. Forget about it, man. It's like, get out of here. Um, all right. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. And um, please feel free to share with family and friends. And um, yeah, we'll see you next time.
I love Q and A's. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wowzer. You really have to be on your toes in a Q&A. So true. You've really got to rely on the Holy Spirit. And that, man. That I'm rarely priest, on my toes. <laughs> I mean, me too. We do Q&As all the time. But praise God for Father Augustino because his intimacy and his relationship with the Holy Spirit, his love of the Lord and of the church and of people. Totally. So shown through in that Q&A. So praise God. Jenna, thanks for doing that. Yeah, it was a gift to me for sure. Mm. He's just like such a piece. Man, I do. Yeah. He's got those fruits of the spirit. Mm-hmm. I gotta get me some fruit. All right. Well, until next time. Season six is gonna be amazing. 2020, the year of perfect vision, Beth. <laughs> Here Amen. we go. Hallelujah. <laughs> all right. We love you. We can't wait to hang with all of you, our friends. Bye bye. See ya.